Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and for salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital Calavia sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is part of our CFS Talk Sales series, where we here at CFS share ideas, techniques, tips, and insights for CEOs, sales managers, and salespeople. This series is all about growth, improvement, and producing breakthrough results. This is Rebecca Toomey, and today I am talking to our very own CEO, Charles Bernard, about sales management. Charles recently wrote an ebook on the topic called The Ultimate Guide to Sales Management, Solutions to the Top 10 Problems that Sales Managers Experience, and he is here to tell us all about it. So thank you for being here, Charles. You're very welcome. <laughs> and for our listeners, you can find a link to the ebook that I just mentioned in the show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod89. And that is where you will find any and all resources mentioned during this show today. So be sure to check that out slash pod89. All right, Charles, sales management. I'm excited to talk to you about this today and really to talk about your ebook and how sales managers can ease some of the pain that they're likely going through right now. Uh, can you share a little bit more on why you decided to write this ebook? Well, I'll start by saying why I wrote this ebook was a combination of two things my personal experience and the experience in working with a lot of different sales leaders, sales managers, VPs of sales, <laughs> directors of sales, whatever you want to call. The title, yep. I'm going to just say generically sales managers. I okay. was one. Okay. And I'm that classic story that people listening have probably heard over and over again where you promote your top producer and turn them into a sales manager. I was one of those. Hey, that worked out pretty well, I'd say. It did, <laughs> but it was rough going because, okay. um, and this is the real reason I, I wrote the book, I don't see a lot of training for sales managers. I see a lot of training for sales people. Mm-hmm. But when I look at what's available, what's out there, um, not not so much. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of the value that sales managers bring. And I think there's a lot of paranoia on the part of the sales manager mm-hmm. in terms of what value they bring. So I decided to study um, sales managers back in the day. So, you know, obviously something personal that I went through. But I also feel that I've got now enough experience under my belt that I can narrow it down to 10 problems that I Mm -hmm. hear, um, I'm going to say, are are recurring problems from uh, all the sales managers out there. And we've, you know, you know, because you've been involved as well. We've worked with a number of these folks and to a certain degree, they are a unique breed and an evolving species. (laughs) Evolving species. Yeah, and uh, just for our audience, I will name off those 10 problems. So they are being caught in the middle, 
being spread too thin, micromanaging, not hiring the right salespeople, lack of accountability, lack of teamwork, poor prospecting, compensation plan not aligned with performance, poor pipeline management, and ineffective training and development. So there's a lot in there. And if that sound, if you have a problem with any one of those 10, definitely grab that ebook so you can learn more about some of the solutions to solving those problems. Because like Charles said, it's something that we encounter here with clients constantly at Criteria for Success. We run into sales managers that are that feel like they are caught in the middle. There's a lot of politics and drama going on, or perhaps they're spread too thin, or there's a lack of accountability, or some sometimes we run into all 10 of these yes. within an organization, which is not uncommon. Um, so can you share a little more on why these 10 problems you think are the biggest of all because i'm sure there's more than 10 there's they, you know we're all humans we all have problems in our life right yes absolutely 99 I'm sure problems probably <laughs> double that if you ask another sales manager but um i picked these 10 because frankly uh i would say i personally went through all of this when i was a sales manager for a number of years i had 13 salespeople reporting directly to me which to some people may sound like a lot and to others not so much mm-hmm. But for me, that's a pretty healthy number of direct reports. And now, were you also responsible for selling at that time? Did you have to also produce revenue, or you were just trying to coach that that team? That's a great question. So I'm going to say that that's probably one of the biggest problems that I think needs to be dealt with uh, quickly. Mm -hmm. And to answer your question, I was, but I was fortunate enough to graduate out of that. Meaning, when I first took on the role of, of uh, being a sales manager in, in my company, um, the company I was working for was a technology company. Uh, we were growing very quickly. We were hiring a lot of salespeople, which is why we ended up for the size company that we were having quite a number of salespeople. Mm-hmm. 13 is a decent size. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I would say the first out of the five years that I was doing this, the first year, uh, was really learning on the job and not totally letting go of accounts and doing okay. selling. Okay. And then over time, I, I graduated out of that, gave my accounts away, and started to really focus on the uh, management aspect of the job. Mm-hmm. And so um, I really do honestly think of all the problems out there, the biggest and most impactful in terms of um, being a problem is uh, if you carry a bag or if you carry a quota. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. really, because that's two jobs. Yeah. It is, I mean, could you imagine you're you're a salesperson, you have to meet this certain quota, and now you're a sales manager and you're managing 13 people and trying to sell on top of it. That's kind of insane, if you ask me. It is. It's pretty <laughs> insane. And it, and it also carries for, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but it does create a lot of conflicts. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If yeah, you're yeah. producing and a juicy lead comes your way, yeah. you're going to think twice about giving that lead to, to somebody and not necessarily uh, thinking about keeping it or, or, or perhaps thinking about keeping it for yourself. So, so do you recommend that sales managers not carry a quota and, and not yes. sell themselves? Yeah, you, very much. They should step away from yeah. that role, give it up. Give it up. Um, okay. That really is a, is not always. In fact, it's, it's the majority of the time not in the sales manager's uh, 
hands to make that decision. I think that's the person they report to very often in a mid-sized company. That'll be the CEO. The CEO, okay. So for all you CEOs yeah. who are listening out there, <laughs> seriously, I can tell you every single client we've worked with that has had um, a what I call player coach, where the person's coaching mm-hmm. as a manager but also a player on the field um, and, and selling, uh, the CEO has to really think, or the person that that person reports to has to really think seriously about um, sooner than later giving up those accounts to the rest of the team, farming them out, and yeah. letting that person manage exclusively. And that might also cause some CEOs to think twice about promoting their top producer into a manager, right? I mean, because yeah. if they're really great at selling, but perhaps they might not have a leadership quality or interest, yeah, you're you could bite yourself in a little bit by doing it that way you, you could and and also you know you're trying to get a two for one and it's very difficult yeah it really is it's almost impossible two hats is it. hard yeah or five hats. Two ha- well <laughs> and also you know like i said it creates conflicts of interest mm-hmm. it, it uh it puts you in both places as a salesperson and as a manager yeah. it makes it very difficult to create frames of reference where you know a lot of the time you're giving yourself a pass when mm-hmm. you're telling other people to do things. It's just a lot of, I think it's very problematic. Okay. And now this kind of leads into the next question that I, I had for you, because as humans, we love stories. And one of the stories that really stuck out to me in the ebook was in the micromanagement chapter. Yeah, you talked about how in the past, you were, when you were managing a sales team, you fell into this hole of micromanagement. And what's funny was for me, obviously I was, I edited this ebook before designing and this was the first time I'd ever heard the story before from you. And, you know, we've been working together for a couple of years. So it was cool to read it. So I'd love for you to kind of speak to this a little bit more. And can you tell that story to our sure. audience? You know, I find that when when I relate a personal story, I've got two things going on in my mind. One is to let people get an insight into what it was like for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walk the walk and talk the talk. But I also feel the other side is to help people through the story um, see if they identify with what I went through and so this is a little bit of a work in progress I've, I've, I think I've spoken to some sales managers about this and gotten some alignment but I would love to hear people listening to this podcast give their own feedback mm-hmm. but my number one discovery as to why in the story I talk about micromanagement and catching myself being a micromanager and mm-hmm. then trying to figure out why, what was driving me to be a micromanagement, mm-hmm. a micromanager. And I think the biggest thing was it was a result of high anxiety. Mm. In having to, and back to being the top performer versus being the manager, mm-hmm. having to really um, rely on other people to make the team succeed or relying on other people to make me succeed. Yeah. And so the anxiety of watching people not produce, watching people not do it the way I would do it, watching people take too long. And (laughs) so micromanagement came from anxiety and the symptoms were very clear as far as I'm concerned. And I'd be curious again if others identify with this as well. And that is to sort of tell people what to do in, in anticipation of cutting corners Mm -hmm. like not waiting for them to discover for themselves what the right way to go about doing something with clients and deals and basically telling people how to what to 
um, which I think ultimately took that discovery part away. Yeah. And therefore they become too reliant on me being the person to uh, to script them. And frankly, micromanaging is exhausting. Oh my gosh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. And at the same time, I'd also like to throw out there that this is not just a sales management issue. This is also a problem that CEOs have and other executives and other decision makers. But I mean, think about yourself now. You're a CEO and you're still managing a bunch of people, right? And so you still have to deal with all the stresses and anxieties that come with, with that. Not to put it, you know, not to... <laughs> Not to make you feel any sort of way over there. You're trying to deliver a message here. Charles, do you feel anxious? Well, now you should. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but really, a lot of us feel anxiety in our job. And, you know, any manager, it, I, I could speak for myself in this because I'm the director of marketing here and I manage Ariana. And there are certain, you know, certain things and deadlines and things that we need to get done, done as a team. And if they don't get done or, you know, whatever the case is in, in these situations yeah. micromanaging is not going not going to work <laughs> work out the way that you would think that it that it might <laughs> and i still think even for me today but i think i speak for a lot of other people in saying that there's a lot of confusion about what micromanagement is and what it is okay like you've heard the expression you want to delegate not abdicate like yes delegate is having other people pick up the slack, take care of tasks without telling them. Abdicate is you're just not involved at all. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time you do have to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a difference between telling people what to do and how to do it versus telling people what needs to get done mm -hmm. and being available and checking in and acting as a coach. And I gotta say, even with all the years of having done this, there's no real recipe. It's kind of, you just have to find a pace and I think it comes down to the quality of your relationship like you have to really trust people but yeah. they have to trust you in return definitely and then to deal with that anxiety part that you mentioned that you felt anxiety that people weren't going to get the get the job done or whatever you were concerned about at the time I liked one of the I don't know what the right word one of the solutions you mentioned was making sure that you were physically active you noticed that yes. when you you weren't physically active it made yes. you more anxious Yes, it's like a vicious cycle. Like, you know, uh, if I'm exhausting myself from micromanagement, I would get home and go, the last thing I want to do is work out. I'm yeah. too tired. Yeah. So then I wake up in the morning and I'm still tired, so I'm not working out. But by not working out, I'm not relieving that stress. And so I'm more stressed out. And it's just this continuous loop. So you're right. Micromanagement makes you do all kinds of other things mm -hmm. aside from what you do at work. Um, ineffectively like not exercising not eating correctly not sleeping correctly I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of byproducts hey if i've learned anything about working out in the time that i've been alive it's that you're always too tired to work <laughs> out <laughs> you always got to just push through <laughs> now another chapter that i really liked and that's very topical in today's environment is being spread too thin Yes. There are so many stories of burnout out there, especially in sales-focused positions about people burning out from being spread too thin yes. because they've taken on too much. Yes. So what can sales managers do to get ahead of this? You know, it's not in the book, and I just thought about it now. And uh -oh. I think a, a large addition. part... Addition. <laughs> put it in the notes. A large part of being spread too thin is a function of not being able to say no. Okay. Right? You want to please everybody. Yeah. And I think sales managers are in that role where 
they're so crucial to many aspects of the business, to management, to marketing, to operations, to sales. They're in the middle. And if you don't learn, or like in speaking for myself, if I didn't learn to push back on not getting involved in a meeting that I didn't need to be in, or not having people make demands of my time unless there was some real return, that um, unless I did that, I was going to get spread too thin and get back to what we were just talking about, which is stressing myself out. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's the first symptom of a pilot coach. You know, when we're talking about people who carry a quota, they tend to get spread too thin very, very quickly, and that's that's a big problem. Definitely. And, you know, something actually Elizabeth and I were talking about this yesterday, a lot of the emotions and the feelings and the anxieties that come along with being spread too thin, a lot of times it comes from our own mindset about how we think about the things that we need to accomplish. Like, there's always more to do, right? In work, you have your, your, the amount of work that you can fit into an eight hour day or a 10 hour day or however long you work. There's always more. It's never going to end. And so part of it is kind of just accepting that that is how it is (laughs) in business Mm -hmm. and in sales and being okay with it. And, you know, knowing, all right, I'm going to get done. The most important things are my priority and I'm going to focus on those things and all the little stuff, it'll, it'll find its way. But I mean, we have to get over that anxiety and fear of not getting everything done. Okay, so now this is really um, stimulating something that I've been thinking about. Okay. And that is, you know, earlier on I said I don't think there's a ton of sales management training out there. Uh-huh. So let's assume that we were going to recommend sales management training, something that we do with leaders. Yep. Um, the first thing I think that belongs in a good sales management training workshop is actually almost nothing to do with sales and sales management. Ooh, I know what you're going to say. I'm so excited. <laughs> and, and almost everything to do with time management, calendar blocking. Like literally to prevent yourself from sp- spreading yourself too thin, it's really getting good at managing your time yes. and managing your calendar. And I yes. know this is something you love because you're the time blocker in the on the team. Hey, it's because I have more things to do that can then can fit in a day. So if I don't time block, I'll just be insane. Right? It's crazy. I literally will go insane. So yeah. It's all about time blocking, and the, Charles mentions a resource. We actually wrote a resource on how to time block in five simple steps. I'll throw that in the show notes, and again, the link for that is criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod89. So, so back to spread too thin, so I would say one, if you don't get your perfect you know, sales management workshop uh, out there, if you can't find it, then work on a couple of things you can do tomorrow. One yep. is time blocking. There's something else that you can do, you, me, anybody, and that is take a disc assessment. Oh, that's a great assessment. that's a great idea. Right? I didn't think of that. Well, and the a reason behavioral I love assessment. that, a behavioral assessment is you're out of the forest. You're not asking someone else to judge you, rank you, rate you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not doing it yourself. Disc is just a nice, independent, objective look at how you communicate and how you behave and I think that's a big part of sales management definitely how you communicate is critical and also something that's cool within disc is you can see what motivates you what demotivates you kind of what your negative triggers are and what your positive are and you can really understand 
oh wow, I, I'm this way. It's so funny when we do these assessments with clients too and even internally within ourselves and when you look at the report and the first thing that you want to do is find things that aren't you. Yes. You know, like, oh, that's not me. Right. But I remember when I did my disc report and I was like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. And even the negative things, you got to just take it and, and say, hey, I accept this. This is who I am. Now what can I do to be better? Yes. And not reject it and say, right. oh, I am not controlling or whatever the case is. <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned DISC is, one, you get personal insights, but if you're up for it, and I think most people are, is share that DISC assessment with someone who cares about you, like mm-hmm. your boss mm-hmm. or um, a mentor in your organization or a peer-level coach. Like, I've seen some amazing um, coaching happen between a sales manager and a head of marketing. They could be at the same level, mm-hmm. slightly different roles, mm-hmm. total empathy for each other, and if they would each do a disc on themselves and then compare their assessments and say, what do you think? Yeah. And where can you get insights into who I am and you know, look outside of the forest so I can get some objective um, coaching and feedback. Sure. I think DISC is a really powerful tool that's very underrated. We don't use it enough. I know. And we don't talk about it enough. We just started really talking about it more over the last couple of months because we realized that it's not really even a conversation that people people have. Or I don't know if it's that... I don't know what it is about it, but I'm well, glad you that you it mentioned it. you do it one time and you kind of put it in, on the shelf or in your drawer and then True. you don't look at it again. I think it's just something you should do regularly. Yeah. How often do you think people should retake a disc assessment because annual. we do change over time. Yeah, so on an once, annual basis, like once a year. Yeah, why not? Check in with yourself. How am I doing? You know, I mean, heck, think about yourself. This is I'm directing this at all of you that are listening to our audience. Think about who you are, who you were when you were 15 years old. Now think about who you are now. Are you the same person that you were when you were 15? If you are still the same person as you were when you were 15. <laughs> Might have a problem. Definitely not. We all change. We all grow. We all learn. And so every year, that's a good way to kind of take a look back. Wow, what a crazy thing. If you were to take all of those tests and then look back every year for the last 10 Mm -hmm. to see how you've grown as a person. Yeah. That'd be cool. I like that. You know, one of the things I thought you were going to say when you said during training, the first thing is not actually a sales thing. I thought you were going to talk about dealing with head trash. Well, that I think is a very powerful thing to talk about. Like, uh, so t- you brought it up. <laughs> well, because you were talking about how you know micromanagement, and then we were also talking about being spread too thin, and then ma- managers going through their own training, and the first thing being time management and how to time block. But I think that mindset and having the right mindset and knowing that what you think is completely controllable yes. is an important and really empowering tool for yeah. people. And we call it head trash, which is, as Charles would say, it's that little voice in your head going, what little voice? That little voice. <laughs> That's the little voice we're talking about. It's yeah. the voice that says you're not good enough. You're not going to close this deal. You're not managing your team well. Your team is failing. You're not going to, I'm not going to meet quota this month. My team sucks. You know, now we're getting into it. Well, I'll, get, I'll go one <laughs> step further. And this is something I learned as a as a, um, as a micromanager. As a, as a sales manager. Isn't it the same thing? <laughs> I learned this as a micromanager. <laughs> that when you're a manager, and you know, I don't think this applies to just being a sales manager. When you're a manager and you're managing people. Okay. And there's a reporting structure. Um, there's your own head trash, the one you were just talking about. So me as a manager, my head trash. Yep. 
But something else that I have spoken about in trainings and I've observed is that a lot of the time people on your team will share their head trash mm -hmm. and want you to deal with it. Now, okay. the fundamental rule about head trash is there's only one person that can deal with head trash. And that's the person with the head trash, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you were to share stuff with me, I have to have like what I call a head trash meter. I have to question: <laughs> is what you just shared with is what you just shared head trash, or is that something that you shared with me from an objective mindset? Uh huh. And the answer is, I think, to the question: How do you know? You really don't, unless you know someone really, really well. Well, how do you find out? You ask people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've done that here at CFS. We've done that with many of our clients. Yeah. It's like, is that head trash? Or it sounds like that might be head trash or any variety of that. Yeah. lets you kind of check in with the other person. And I would say at least 50% of the time, we're not going down some rabbit trail filled with head trash because someone shared something about a situation with a client or with another employee that kind of took you and them down this path yeah, of yeah. gossip or a non-productive conversation. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, head trash, talking about head trash is not productive. Mm -hmm. and, and frankly, whenever I get into a situation where I find someone is speaking head trash to me and they've confirmed it, I'd say, let's, let's not talk about that now. Let's mm -hmm. just talk about what, what we can, something we can deal with. Right? I'll yeah. leave those thoughts about the other person and the client and what they did to you and what you did to them. I'll let you figure that out. What can I help you with objectively okay. from a process standpoint? Yeah. And I think bringing that up in this conversation was very valuable. I think you're right. Head trash does play a role. You know, you're making me think about, and I'm just going to speak about you for a second, and how, remember with webinars, used to get a lot of head trash <laughs> I did about uh, webinars right. yeah. and it I think that it really for us was it took your team us here your team be like it's fine yeah don't have head trash about because you were always anxious about the technology side of it it was never about anything else it was just the technology not working for you it kind of put you in this place of like urgency and then after the webinar you'd be like oh and we're like it's just head trash you're fine everything was fine let me just speak to that for yeah. a second because i think you nailed something that i learned to work around because of your coaching and some of the rest of us here coached me on you know the fact is sometimes i with the webinars i would clue in on technology and not being able to see people mm -hmm. directly mm -hmm. as an excuse for my anxiety, right? Yeah. And that's another part of head trash that I want to mention, and that is I really have to be careful, and I think we all do, I think this is universal, in justifying our head trash, right? Yeah. So I would say, because you brought it up, the thing about the webinars, I would justify why I was uncomfortable with webinars, right? Mm -hmm. I would say, I can't see the person. I, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. so much better in person. I, or the people, I want to see their body language, etc. But the problem with justifying it is I couldn't get past it. Yeah. It was only yeah. when I was willing to let that go. Yep. Whatever that took. Yep. The you know webinars became as valuable as in-person trainings. It's not an issue as much anymore. I mean, yeah. It comes up from time to time. But yeah. I mean, well, hey, we I all have our meeting problems and our. <laughs> <laughs> the connection warbly stuff but you know it's part of it's part of what we all do and i think that we've all taken that on too and said this is just part of part of this process and everyone will understand 
you know the people people will forgive for technology <laughs> and also you know back to sales managers and head trash their own head trash i think leaders in general really have to catch themselves wanting to graduate like i don't really think you ever to graduate as a leader maybe as a manager if you distinguish the two but i think managers and leaders oftentimes are one and the same mm-hmm. i think it's a mistake to attempt to get to a point where you've graduated like i've made it i'm the, i'm a manager i'm a leader i've got this figured out and it's like the webinars you know it's like i don't think it's healthy to um not have head trash and i don't think it's healthy to think that you're ever going to get to points like what you're saying about this mountain of to-dos <laughs> you chip at it and guess what there's always more there's mountain. always more there's yeah. always an, there's always more mountain more mountain and so i think head trash is just one of those things that we accept mm-hmm. we don't try to get rid of it we just give it space yeah and don't um don't try to defeat it or abs- or absorb it too much yeah. you know especially if it's negative head well head trash is negative mostly <laughs> but <laughs> all right i want to talk to you about something that is not in the ebook and it's something we actually chatted about earlier which is managing millennials mm. we've got a lot of head trash about that <laughs> <laughs> we've got a lot of sales managers out there and maybe some sales managers are millennials but predominantly we have a huge influx of millennial sales people in the workforce now entering the workforce i don't know how young how young when millennials ends i think the end right now is like 20 years old yeah or something like that so so we still got a couple entering from college right now that fall in sure. millennial absolutely but yeah i mean it's so funny because i laugh at all the articles i actually just wrote an article that was published on october 3rd about managing millennials and i took this on because there are so many articles out there with that buzzword millennials 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 and i find it funny my older brother my oldest brother is from the generation before millennial so he he and i are in different generations and he said you know when i was your age and younger people our parents generation and young and older said the exact same things about our generation so i don't know what he is he's generation z or uh, whatever it was before millennial, millennial. plus <laughs> and he said the same thing he's like everybody says that said the same thing about the next generation and that's just always how it's going to be is the older generations are always going to say the younger generations are lazy unmotivated don't want to do things wow what's your experience with this you know your whole staff is a bunch of freaking millennials yeah, i'm a baby boomer so i'm like two generations so i would that's interesting i guess i tend to go down the logical path first i try to kind of figure out objectively what's going on i think there are two main issues and i'm very curious again we i know i speak for rebecca we'd love to get some interaction and, and some comments but um I said there were two points. I think number one is what you were saying. When this topic of millennials come up, it's usually in the area of someone who's not a millennial managing a millennial. Yes. Right? Yes. There's a generation gap. Yes. And and by default there are different values and history and all kinds of things going on and a different perspective. But something I almost never hear talked about is point number two and that is how about a millennial managing other millennials Mm -hmm. and is that an issue for them because Mm -hmm. i'm very curious like do millennials think of themselves 
in the same way that non-millennials think of them? Like, do you go walking around thinking, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. I'm entitled. Yes, I like to live on my smartphone yes. and not have communication yes, with anybody. that's exactly I mean, I what think we think. These are like no, stereotypes not. that the generation outside of the millennials have made up. Frankly, I oh think my a gosh. lot of it is head track. I think so much. I said in my blog article that I think 99% of the articles out there are, are kind of BS and just yeah. have garbage information in them because I am a millennial, which hopefully you don't stop listening now that you know that, but <laughs> since there's so much head trash around it, but I'll tell you what, I can tell you something about technology. I wish that I could go back in, back in time to before we had smartphones and just be free and live in the woods. You know, I think the same way that, that you would think, or that my parents would think we're just people just like everybody else totally. at the end of the day. Now, has technology changed the way that we communicate and the way that we do things? Yes, but it doesn't mean that that is the only way. And so I do run into a lot of millennials that say something that's very common. And they, this is what they say. They say, I hate talking on the phone. Yes. I hate talking on the phone. Yeah. That is something I hear a lot. Yeah. I don't hate talking on the phone. And I'm a millennial, so you can't you can't bunch everybody into one thing. So I think that grouping a generation into you know kind of one class is not fair. Yes. In in some sense, but you know, so if that's an issue, so let's say that that, the thing that is, is making, a problem, making it a negative, right? Yeah, like, making it like, a negative. I don't like talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. Let's say for millennials, and I'm not saying this is true, but let's say it is true. Let's just say that's a fact. Yes. Let's say why why is that a problem? Because it's only a problem if you're outside of that. Like if you're somebody who or used to talk on the phone, <laughs> loves talking on the phone, I think a lot of the problems that I hear between the generations, you know, those people are not millennials and the complaints I hear, because I do, I mean, yep. I'll be honest, I talk to a lot of CEOs yep. who are older and they're like, the millennials, they drive me crazy. And I go, <laughs> why? They don't like to talk on the phone, like you said. Mm-hmm. To me, it's less about that and more about a lack of respect and for that is the a- other person. Yeah. And millennials, yeah. quote unquote, let's talk about CFS. You're okay. right. I'm, okay. I'm several years, many years older than the rest of the team. And so I'll classify the team as millennial. For me, though, I actually enjoy being exposed to things that I didn't do. Mm-hmm if they can be done better. Like I noticed that you guys don't talk on the phone as much, but you find other ways to communicate, to communicate things, yeah. which are as effective. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't like texting and you guys do as much, doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. It just means that I've got a different set of habits yep. and I think it it's up to me to be mainstream. It's up to me to yep kind of catch up Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the time you guys coach me I'm just speaking for me personally on how to say things more effectively like blog writing you were the one who would give me tips and I could have been insulted and said I'm so much older than you I was (laughs) writing before you were born and all that crazy (laughs) talk and, and justify my position instead of looking at your logic which is Charles word sentences that have 20 words or less are more readable. Mm-hmm. Run-on sentences aren't as readable. And and you know what? When I took that coaching and I applied it to my own writing style, not only did I agree with you, but I actually found that if I can share something 
a sentence in 20 words or less, it actually made it more impactful for the message that I wanted to deliver. So I think people need to kind of give up the baggage associated with age and think about what works and what doesn't in both directions. Because we can all learn from each other and we all do learn from each other. I know that I'm a little bit old school when it comes to selling in that I don't think like a millennial in some ways of selling because I was taught by baby boomers how to sell and I was taught how to cold call go into people's offices and right in your face build a relationship that is not something that you could get half of these half of these kids I'm gonna call them kids half of these kids to do they're like oh my god that gives me so much anxiety that would be hard hey I had anxiety too it was really nervous nerve-wracking for me too but I had a great manager who just gently pushed me through that door. And well, once you ex- sure. uh, once you experience it, that was the best thing that ever could have happened. Yeah. But, you know, look, take that example of, like, uh, going in cold into people's offices and trying to sell them something. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a millennial versus non-millennial thing. I think a lot of people, no matter who they are, what their age, would f- struggle with that. Yeah, and frankly, if you can conquer that for yourself, if you if you're effective at that, um, that's fine. But you won't get an argument from me if someone says, "Listen, statistically, that's a very inefficient way of sure. doing business. And yeah. It's got nothing to do with courage, and and being able to do it. It's just not efficient. Mm-hmm. If I crash in on people <laughs> a thousand times a year um, and get two appointments." Uh, I can find a more effective way and quadruple that number or, you know, exponentially increase that number by not having to do it in a way that doesn't work. Yep. And so I think learning is really the key. I think millennials can teach people who who aren't millennials older things and vice versa. I think you've just Mm got to be open. That's right. It's all about being open and discovery, right? Yeah. That whole idea of discovery learning. That's why I love living in New York because I always... always I mean, I know I'm stereotyping, but I feel people are work, work so hard here, and, and it's probably true elsewhere too. Any place people work hard, um, they can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never think about that age gap as much. Now, growing up in England, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I did notice. And then sometimes when I go back, I kind of feel, wow, I feel like time stood still mm-hmm. over there, not so much over here. It's because well, the houses are still the same. Things <laughs> <laughs> don't change as much. As probably, yeah. yeah. But again, I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to offend anyone listening who's from England and goes, what do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> I've been there in years. But it, it comes down to, like what you were saying, how open you are. And well, um, I wanted from to, each other. I wanted to make a joke about New Yorkers oh. and working in New York. You, you've got to work hard in New York to be able to live somewhere, but to live in a box, to pay for your box. you got to work really hard. It's really expensive to live here. I love my box. <laughs> we all love our little boxes. We work in our little boxes and we sleep in them. <laughs> now, here at CFS, we talk, of course, a lot about sales playbooks. It's one of the amazing, beautiful things that we do is we have an awesome digital platform called Calavia that is a digital sales playbook really really cool thing um so we're always looking for useful things that sales managers ceo salespeople can share within their playbooks especially we have a lot of calavia clients list that listen to this podcast so if you're listening now my question is to charles what actionable tip what is an actionable tip that the listeners might consider adding to their playbook in relation to sales management, management. in your ebook right um 
I'm going to go a little out of the box on this question Ooh. because I think the typical answer I would give would be like, here's one more mechanic, here's one more tool you could put in your playbook. And I think there's no lack of tools in a playbook. I think something to think a little differently about a playbook from a management perspective is to use the playbook as a coaching tool so that yes. if you were a coach, um, I think it would be really good for you to have a section in the playbook that could keep track of people that you coach. What are the issues that are coming up? What are the responses and solutions that you perhaps have discovered together with the person you coached and cool. you as a Your coach? own common problems list. Your own common problems list. And so we in our playbooks have a section for coaching and we call them coaching journals where people are able to, um, if you're a coach, make notes on people just for yourself. This isn't something you want to show HR and this isn't something you want to kind of expose to everyone. It's a very private area where you can just reflect on the progress of the people that you're helping. Mm -hmm. And one more thing along that, and that is if you are going to coach, if you are going to volunteer to coach, and we're talking about peer-level coaching predominantly, which we're a big fan of, meaning I don't have to be your supervisor or um, a grade or two above you. Peer-level coaching usually entails one coach with one or two, sometimes three, maximum three other people you would coach, and having a scorecard system in the playbook. Scorecard means I, as a coach, am getting scored on how effective the people I'm coaching are, hmm. be it in looking at the playbook, executing the playbook, their sales numbers, whatever the criteria is. So I think, bottom line, I know I talked a lot, but I'm basically gonna summarize by saying, have an area in your playbook that coaches people on getting the most out of what's in the playbook and having a place to uh, to keep track of that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Charles. You're very welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, of course, we could talk about sales management for about five hours, but instead, I invite you download a copy of Charles's ebook on sales management. Again, you can find that in the show notes, criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod eight nine. And thank you so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to tune in next week for an interview with Deb Calvert of the Sales Experts channel. Great interview with her. And tune in on Friday for an inspirational quote from Zig Ziglar that's narrated by Charles. Mm -hmm. All month we're going to be talking about sales management on sales management on the CFS blog. So check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. And of course, Charles mentioned a couple times throughout, we would love to hear from you. We would love your feedback. Shoot us an email podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com is where you can reach us. We'd love to hear what you're going through you know what pain points do you have or how do you manage millennials <laughs> <laughs> and if you're enjoying this show we invite you to please subscribe to the podcast and drop us a review if you can or a rating we would appreciate it so much and it would help other people to find us as well thank you to all our listeners for everyone that's been listening we're actually entering our we're almost at our one-year anniversary on the 30th of this month is our one-year anniversary of the Let's Talk Sales podcast. So we're really excited about that. We're actually going to be putting a survey together that we'll be launching towards the end of the month nice. to really survey and see what you guys like about the show and what you want to see in the future. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey. 
Ariana Miskell, and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling, everyone!